You know, when, uh, when, when Charlie was leading us and we were singing that song, uh, Give Us Clean Hands, Give Us Pure Hearts, and uh, man, I'm singing that to God. I'm going, God, I, there's so, so many things. You've got to know, man, I'm a very weak person, and, and I can get distracted. I can take my focus off of God. And so as we're singing that song, I'm going, God, there's other things in my head right now. I'm, I'm concerned of how people think or how they might perceive me. I'm concerned about other people listening on that, that maybe know the Word of God better than I do. And, and, and are they going to find any mistake here? Am I going to look dumb? Am I going to look like this or that? And God was just opening my eyes to, to just how impure my heart was, how unclean my hands were. And I'm just going, God, give me, give me clean hands. Give me a pure heart. I, I, I don't want I, I to care about anything else. And, and I was thinking about earlier, you know, when, when Christine was talking, man, which just blew my mind. And I, I hope you have not forgotten what she said. Man, when Christine was talking, I was up there and I'm listening and she's sharing all these thoughts about these, these kids right now and what's happening to them. And man, everything in me... I. I, I don't know about you, but I was just going nuts in my head. You start envisioning it. I start thinking about my kids. I've got five kids. And I think about, man, what if something happened to one of them? What would I do? And what would I be saying to you right now if one of my kids was taken? Would I just come up here and give a little expository sermon? Or would I be standing and just begging you, come on, you guys, you have resources. You've got the whole future. You know people. Find my kid. Do something. Rescue her. Rescue him. And in and, and, and my mind, I'm going nuts. And I, and I, I just remembered being up there and... Uh, Every time Christine said something, I wanted to scream, yes, yes, amen. I wanted to scream, but you know, you know I, I, I wanted to be careful. I didn't want to offend anyone. I, I didn't want people see me crying, you know, even though in my heart, I just wanted to, I just wanted to bawl my eyes out. I just want to sit there and I just want to bawl my eyes out. And I, I just wanted to cry and cry and cry, but there's a sense of we're very reserved and we care very much about image. And so, you know what, I'm not going to bawl my eyes out with people that are watching. I'm one of the speakers. I shouldn't be this moved. What am I doing, you know, crying like that? Why am I, why, you know, I don't want to just scream amen, though. Every word she said, I just wanted to scream it out because I believed so much. I was just straight out of the Word of God. But I caught myself being reserved. And I, and I looked in this room, and I thought, man, here's, here's an absolute army an army even bigger than this that's watching online right now. And I look at that number, the 27 million in slavery right now, and I think, you know what, this is, this is pretty cool. We could actually end this thing. Like, like, I mean, don't you get that confidence when you look around the room and you think about who is behind us and who is for us, you go, man, we could do this thing. We could do this thing, and, and that confidence that's in my mind but the thing that, that kept hitting me, we can do this if we, if we refuse to be so reserved. You know, this is a very ugly, ugly thing we're talking about. I mean, I know we're at Passion, and Passion is it's probably the coolest conference in the world. I mean, right? I mean, as far as cool goes... Let's just admit, there's, there's a lot of good conferences, but, but cool, you know, you think Passion... 
And so there's this sense of, man, I'm at a cool conference right now, and I want to, you know, be perceived a certain way, look a certain way, and and there's still image involved. And and the word the Lord kept giving to me was just, you know what? You're going to have to get ugly. This is such an ugly thing. I don't even like calling it human trafficking. I like calling it little kids are being raped repeatedly right now. And that should break our hearts. The thought that as we're sitting in this room, I mean, I saw the way you clapped. You know, you clap for each guy, you know, the guy from Brazil, the guy from Mexico. But then you see the kids, right? And you guys go nuts because you see their faces and you're going, man, look how cute they are. They're beautiful. They're adorable. And suddenly everyone's clapping. Why? Because we, we, God's given us such a heart for these children. And then to think, man, that there's some right now as we're sitting right here. Some of them as slaves, they'll never be in a room like this. Like, like a kid's being raped right now repeatedly, like that, that's not something we can casually and in a very cool way say, yeah, let's just give a couple dollars here. And there. That's what Louis has been saying all along. We can't just kind of throw a couple bucks in there. It's something that we've got to just be completely undignified and say, you know what, I've got to give my life to this. I've got to do something about this. I was thinking about, uh, as, as Charlie was leading us in that song of saying, we are not ashamed. That's the first, uh, first verse I memorized. I was in high school. First verse I memorized was Romans 1, 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And yet as I was singing that, I was thinking about a lot of times when I am ashamed of the gospel. I think about times when I'm sitting on an airplane and I really don't want to talk to the person next to me about Jesus. Times when I see my neighbor and... I really don't want to talk about Jesus because I know what they're going to think, what they're going to say. And so to try to integrate with integrity, say I'm not ashamed of the gospel when there have been times that I've been very ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed when I'm in this room with a bunch of other believers. But I'm saying, God, I want to be a person who's just never ashamed. Man, I, if I'm not careful, I'm going to just repeat Christine's whole message because I was so fired up about it, but, but God's given me a message for you as well. In fact, can we pray again? I, I just, I, I need some help here. In, in fact, you know what? I, I, I was in Korea a few weeks ago, and uh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. And uh, I was really nervous because they said about one and a half million people are watching this. And so I got up and I was just scared. And the whole congregation, all the people that were, were there live, they stood up and they started going like this, all of them. Picture this, just thousands of Koreans going like this. And then they started singing a song in Korean, you know. And my translator's next to me and he's telling me they're all praying for you right now. And they're singing the song upon you that God would truly speak through your lips. They want to hear from God is what they're singing. And I thought, no way. I mean, it was just amazing. It was this time where I'm not performing here. All of these people are praying that God would speak through me. And so if you guys would get up and sing a Korean song. <laughs> no, but I, I was just thinking, man, that was so beautiful to me. Just to know for those 
few seconds, everyone was in line and saying, God, we want to hear the word of God. We're not here to critique this guy. We're not here to judge him on, you know, style points, whatever else. We just want to hear from you today. And so would you just bow your heads right now? It's awkward to ask you this, but would you please pray for me? God, right now, please, let me be your mouthpiece. Don't let me say anything that's of the flesh. Take away any shame, any image, any concern. I want to say whatever you want me to say. I want to lead your servants here, God, your your people, however you want them led, God. Take away my pride, please, at least just for 20 minutes or half an hour, God. In Jesus' name, amen. As I prayed for you, the the thing that I kept, that kept coming back to me was, I want to just stand here and beg you to read this book for yourself. I just want to sit here and beg you and say, please, please. I mean, this is great. Other people speaking to you and you hear the word of God. These are some of my favorite teachers on earth. I thank God for them. But I want to beg you, go home and just read this book. Just read it. And what does it say? Just read it over and over and over again. As I prayed for you, I thought, man, you get so many messages all day long. You hear so much noise, so many lies. I was saying, gosh, the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. That's why I was so excited, because that's what was on my heart. And then right when we started the session, what did we see? The Word of God everywhere, flashing on every screen last night. And my soul just got so excited, because that's everything the Lord was telling me. These people need to get the Word of God in their minds. You've got to just be consumed by this word where every time you think, you think like someone from here. What what, what would he have done? What would he have done? What would Jesus have done? What have the believers done for all of these years? And let that be your thinking. Let that be your mind. I think the greatest thing that could happen is for many of you to leave here serious about this book seriously believing in the promises of this book. And I know this is something you've heard for some of you most of your life, and I'm talking about people who really have faith in this book. Like you really, you genuinely believe with all of your heart that literally there were people carrying a dead body, a coffin, and it really happened that Jesus really stopped that and said, hey, get, get out of there, arise, come out of there, and a dead man came to life. For you to believe that and then to believe that I can literally talk to that Jesus right now and then say, Jesus, I believe you you caused that young man to rise from the grave and now you are listening to me right now. For people to really believe that, 
for people to really believe and say, no, I, I honestly believe that that woman was, was, had that flow of blood for 12 years straight. And, and I, I really believed it happened where she reached out and grabbed that tassel and, and, and everything changed. She was completely healed to believe that right now we don't have to just sit here and wait, but we too can reach out to that same Jesus and say, God, I, there's power here. I want that. I, I'm just praying for people to read this book and to really believe it because people will lie to you. So many people are going to lie to you throughout your lifetime. And even people who sit in church services will lie to you and tell you what you want to hear, tell you how you can become more like them. And unless you are in this book reading it over and over and over again, you're not going to be able to tell who's lying to you. The other day I was... uh, I was in the front uh, of my house, it was just a couple months ago, and I was fixing some bricks, and, uh, and some Jehovah's Witnesses walked by, and, uh, and, and they, they just said, hey, can we talk to you? And I said, of course. I looked them in the eyes, and they started talking. I said, hey, can I say some things to you? Um, I, I, can I just tell you about some amazing things God's been doing in my life? Can I just tell you just, just a couple of ways that he's been answering my prayers lately? And one of the ladies looks at me and she goes, you know, God doesn't listen to everyone. And I said, you're right. You are absolutely right. I mean, it says it throughout Scripture. In, in James chapter 1, it says if we don't have faith, if we have doubt, he's not going to listen to us. You know, later in James, he says, you know, if, we, if I ask out of selfish motives, he's not going to listen to that. He, he says in Hebrews that Jesus himself was, was listened to because of his reverence for God. I mean, that's Jesus. It, it talks about how if I don't, in 1 Peter 3, if I don't treat my wife as, with honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, that my prayers could be hindered. He, he says in Isaiah 58 that, that even if I fast and pray, if I don't care about the poor, he's not listening to me. So you are very right. God doesn't listen to everyone. But he listens to me. Can I just tell you a story? And, and, I, and I told her a story. I go, man, okay, okay, listen to this one. I go, okay, just last week, okay? And I'm telling her, I go, just last week. Okay, listen to what we were doing. We were in San Francisco, you know, doing the inner city there. And uh, we were going to do this conference where, where we go and we feed the poor. We cut their hair. We wash their feet. We give to them. We serve them. We show them grace. Uh, anyways, as we were getting ready for that on Wednesday, the leader of the rescue mission said, the conference is two days away. We have to make 10,000 hot meals and we don't have any meat or any money. Meanwhile, the staff had been fasting and praying all week. As they were trying to figure out solutions and offering their credit cards, out of the blue, about an hour, hour and a half after he made that announcement, Trader Joe's, the supermarket, called us and said, all of our freezers just broke down. Do you, could you use all our meat? (laughs) 
And this giant U-Haul shows up in front of the mission with pork chops, chicken, steak, everything else just loaded down with meat. And as we're cooking that meat and passing it out, we knew God provided. I go, isn't that awesome? She looked at her friend and she goes, let's get out of here. They start walking away. I go, man, there's more. Is it it okay if I walk with you? And why? Because I cared about these ladies. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, man, I want to tell them the things that God has done. So I walked with them for a couple blocks. Okay, here's another one. Okay, let me tell you about this one. And I'm just telling them story after story of how I go, man, God listens to me. How do you explain this? And after a couple of blocks, one of them just finally said, okay, what are you? They said, are you, are you one of those Pentecostals? And I said, don't worry about it. I, I, said, I, I, said, I said, all you need to know is that I am a human being like you, and I read the Bible for myself. I read it, read it, read it, study it, study it, study it. And then I pray to that God and that God listens to me and you can't deny that. And she looks at me and she goes, well, that's your problem. I go, what? She goes, you read it for yourself. She goes, you can't understand that book unless one of our leaders explains it to you. And I said, see, that's that's the problem right there. That's your problem. You, you don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't believe that if, if you with a pure heart come before God and say, I just want to know the truth. And you open up his word that there's actually power there. And that he can speak to you through his word. And you're putting all of your trust in these people to tell you what it says. How do you know they're telling you the truth? Where's the proof there? And I know we hear that story and we go think, yeah, you know, those guys, they, they don't study the word for themselves. But I'm, I, I got to ask you, how do you know if I'm telling you the truth? How do you know Christine or Beth was preaching the truth or Louis preaching the truth or John's going to preach the truth? Man, do you know this book well enough? Because I just think people are going to lie to you your whole life and it'll be very easy for you to fall into that same trap and just try to find the most entertaining speaker or the most uh, apparently uh, scholarly teacher, most popular teacher. Man, I, I, I was reading uh, in 1 Kings the other day and this started to freak me out. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 13 uh, this is such a crazy story. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 15. There's this, there's a, there's this prophet who prophesies to the king. And, uh, and the king says, man, why don't you stay here and eat? And this man of God goes, no, no, no. God told me I'm not supposed to eat with you. I'm not supposed to spend the night. I'm going to go. I, I'm not supposed to drink anything, anything. i got to get out of here. And then, uh, and then uh, in, in verse... Uh, Verse 15, a prophet comes up to the guy and he says to him, come home with me and eat bread. And, and he says, I may not return with you or go in with you, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way that you came. And then the other guy says to him, he goes, 
I also am a prophet, as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah. Thus says the Lord, because you disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back in here and you've eaten bread and you drank water in the place where he said to you, eat no bread, drink no water, your body shall not come to the tomb of your father's. And after he'd eaten bread and drunk, he saddled his donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. I just remember reading that and going, oh, that sucks. <laughs> I mean, here's a man of God. He heard from the Lord, but then another prophet came along and said, I know, I know, no, I know God spoke to you, but... Uh, the angel spoke to me afterwards. He says, hey, go get that guy. Bring him back. And so I'm, I'm thinking this man of God's going, man, I, all right, all right. And he said, I could eat. All right, I'll just eat. And then the guy just looks at him and goes, ah, you blew it. The lion's going to eat you now. And I think, wow. There, there, there's this deception. Oh, and, and then it, it gets worse when you look at a First Kings uh, I was reading this, uh, chapter 22. Chapter 22. In chapter 22, the, the king is, is looking into these prophets saying, hey, what did God say? What did God say? And uh, in, in 1 Kings 22, verse 6, Jehoshaphat uh, is, 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 is gathering the, the prophets. And it says, the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramath Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Yeah, there's, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, son of Imlah. But I hate him because he never prophesies good concerning me. <laughs> I love that. Here are all the prophets. It says 400. Okay, picture this. All of the prophets in one place saying the same thing. Go to war. Go to war. And they're like, you know, the king's going, okay, is that, is that everyone? He goes, no, nah, there's one more guy, but I hate him. He never says anything good about me. And they bring Micaiah in. And they go, Micaiah, come on, are we going to win? He goes, yeah, you're going to win. And then they go, no, seriously. He goes, no, you're going to die. It's... And then he's going, see, I told you, I hate this guy. Why can't he just go with everyone else? And then Micaiah goes, let me tell you something. These 400 guys right there, they're all lying. I'm the one guy that's telling the truth. And I'm reading the story going, God, could I do that? Am I willing to just say Whatever. And stand on your word. Do I know your word well enough to where I can just look at something? And, that's a lie. I've been reading this book my whole life. I'm going backwards, forwards. Can you do that? Or do you just trust 
listen, or are you like the Bereans who say, you know, they, they listen to the message. I mean, it's good. There is a place to be taught. I thank God that there are people who understand this book better than I do, and I learn from them, from, from both of them. And, uh, just kidding, I, I, I learn from them, and I go, man, I thank you for that part of the body, but you guys, I, I get scared that some of you, you just follow because they, you know, they say they're a scholar, although they'll pronounce something in the Greek, and you don't know. And the Bible says, man, listen to their doctrine. Pay close attention to that, but also look at their lives. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. To look at those people and say, man, is that guy really walking? Does, does he remind me of Jesus? But you won't even know what Jesus looked like unless you studied this book. You guys, I, I, I get very concerned that more and more people are disbelieving this book. And they're not taking the obvious teaching in this book. You know, when I think of what uh, that, that king said to Micaiah, going, man, I, I hate that guy. He never says what I want to hear. I, I, I think of 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, one of my favorite passages, Paul says in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's the judge, the living, and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. He says, look, a day's coming when people will not pay attention to sound doctrine, but they're going to go and try to find people to tell them what they want to hear. Look, you may already be doing this, where you have a desire in your heart. You know what, if you have a desire, something you want to do, you, you can justify it with this book. You can justify just about anything with this book if you work hard enough. You want a divorce? Go, go to the Christian bookstore and say, hey, give me a book that tells me it's okay to divorce my wife for this reason. And it'll be there. I, I need a book that tells me it's okay to live a safe life. Give me one of those books. Give, give, give me a book that, that, that tells me it's okay to, to, to buy a Ferrari or just live in total luxury. Give me one of those books. Give me a book that says it's just whatever you want. You can just, just, just get it. Why? Because you want it. And so you'll find some verse and you'll twist it, even though that's not the natural reading of the Scriptures. And be careful of your own heart. We just fight for what we desire. It's like one time my daughter was, uh, she was young, one of my, my oldest daughter, and, and she wanted me to get her ice cream at like 9.30 at night on a school night. Come on, Dad. And I go, no, you're going to get all wired and crazy, and then you won't be able to sleep, and then you'll, you know, you'll be a brat tomorrow. And, and she goes, no, Dad, don't you understand if I eat tonight the ice cream, I'll be so happy when I go to bed, and that means when I wake up, I'll still be happy. Yeah, that's pretty good. You, you know, it's just this, but at that time, did she care about truth? No. 
She was just fighting for what she wanted, and so often that happens in the church. We don't really want to know what this book says. We just want to use it to justify what we want. And I get so concerned about that. A lot of you guys know that I wrote a book recently about hell. Because there's been such a controversy, and I'm just going, man, I'm just a simple guy. I'm just reading this book, and and it sure seems like when God says he's going to judge, it's it's actually going to happen. Man, I, I, you know, like, like, like when, when he told the people in Noah's day, no, it's going to flood, it's going to rain. I, I bet you there were preachers in that day going, come on, really? Does he mean a literal flood, like rain's really going to come down from heaven and flood us all? I, I mean, it's probably figurative. I mean, we're in floods every day, problems are raining down all around us. Yeah, I believe in a flood, but are you talking about a literal one? And then what happens? The whole world gets flooded. Everyone dies. I bet you there are preachers in Egypt going, come on, a loving God is going to kill the firstborn in every home. Okay, what kind of loving God would kill the firstborn in every house of Egypt just because of something Pharaoh did? No loving God would do that. And then you see all the children dying. And the ones passed over who believed in the blood of the Lamb. I bet you there are preachers in Sodom going, come on, what's he going to do? Send fire down from the sky and burn us all? God's going to do that? See, I just read it simply, and then, and then when it talks about how in the end he's really going to come, and he's going he's he's to come in all of his glory with all of his angels, I believe that's literal. And he's really going to take the nations and going to separate them. When I read Revelation, I go, man, he's saying that there's a real literal lake of fire where, where the beast and the false prophet are thrown. And anyone whose name's not written in the book of life, they're thrown into that pit of fire. And I'm going, man, I don't want to be there. And I believe it's literal, and I believe just because why? Because even from the beginning, from the beginning, remember when Adam and Eve sinned? What did Satan say? How was he luring them in? They're going, come on, did God really say you're going to die? Okay, what are you going to do? Live for a few years and then you die? You think you're literally going to die? You're not going to die. Flood's not going to come. He's not going to kill the firstborn of every house. You're not going to have fire and, 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 and sulfur come down from the sky and consume your city. I'm just going, man, I'm, I'm a simple guy. I just read this and it... I don't know. It seems to flow with everything else he's done. But we try to beautify everything. You know, we take the story of Noah's Ark and we go, oh, that was so beautiful. And your parents painted in your nursery, you know, when you're growing up. And there's two giraffes sticking their head out the window. (laughs) You know, everyone's happy. And I doubt your parents painted all the people drowning. Did we forget that's a story about God killing everyone on earth? And to go, man, that's consistent with his nature. You guys, I, I, I'm not this rocket scientist. I, I just read this thing over and over and go, gosh, it sure seems like this. I, I was speaking at a conference a, a couple of weeks ago, and this guy comes up to me afterwards, and he goes, hey, no offense, but every time you speak, I think to myself, I could do that. He goes, 
all you do is you like, you'll read a passage of scripture, then you'll go, you guys, you got to do it. <laughs> and he goes, and I look at all my friends, I'm like, that, that's all he said. He just read that passage and said, go do it. And I go, I go, thank you. That's what I've been saying all along. Like, that, that's all I do. That's all I know to do. Like, and, and, and I tell you, it works. You just read it and you take it literally and go, man, okay, like, like a, a few weeks ago. Everything was a few weeks ago. I, uh, I was gathering with some of my buddies and they're like, okay, well, now what do we want to do? What do you want to do? And I said, you know, there's that passage in Luke 14 that, that's always bugged me. Because in Luke 14, verse 12, it says, he said to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And I go, man, I remember studying that passage and I thought, man, I've never even given a banquet for uh, the poor or the crippled or lame or blind. Whenever I give a dinner or I have dinner, I always just invite my friends, my brothers, my relatives, my rich neighbors. Okay, I'll pay this time, you pay next time. And we just take turns. And I go, man, help me out. I'm reading this and it says, when you give a feast, invite the poor. What does that mean in the Greek? Because, I mean, I tried to look it up in the grave. It seemed like it was saying that when I give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And I'm just like, man, can we just do it? Can we not just argue and, and spiritualize? Well, I think it's a, a banquet of the heart, you, you know? <laughs> you know how we do that in our studies? I think it's a hard attitude. You just walk by the poor and go, I'm having roast beef with you in my heart. I'm, uh, you know... It's like, can we just look at it and go, gosh, it seems like Jesus said when I give a banquet. And so let me just do that. Can we just have a banquet? And so we said, let's, let's get a banquet. Let's just invite the poor. Let's just invite all of these people in, in, in this area. And we started inviting them. And we started saying, look, I'm bringing chefs in. Anything you want to eat. You want lobster. You want steak. You want shrimp. You want whatever. Just come. Come to this banquet. It's going to be insane. You know, and these people, these lower-income apartments, people living on the streets. And, and we're just saying, look, look, even, even before you come, uh, you know, some of the ladies are like, well, what do I wear? It's really I go. You know what, my wife, my wife has the gift of shopping. She's going to take you shopping, you know. She's going to take you to Macy's, and we're going to buy you a new dress. And these women are going, I haven't shopped in years. Like, oh, man, it's going to be awesome. Anything you want to wear, we want to buy it for you. We just want to spoil, I just want to show you grace. You know, and then, and then we, had, we had presents that we bought for every person. There were going to be about 50 people attending this banquet. Let's have presents for every one of them. Let's have live entertainment there. You know what? Let's get some photographers there and let's take some stills of them and then we'll print them out later on and get frames for them and bring them to them. Let's just spoil them, make them feel like they're the greatest people, most important people on earth because it seems like that's what we're supposed to do. And I was just getting giddy. You know, it was just like two weeks in advance. I go, let's just try to do this, you know, in a couple of weeks. And people would start getting excited. They're going, oh, no way, no way. But for me, it, it hit me like the week before, like I was getting so ridiculously excited. Like you ever buy a present for someone and you can't wait to give it to them? You know, that's what I was feeling. I'm like, 
these guys, they, they have no clue what's in store for them. Like they have no clue. Like they're going to walk in and everyone's just going to be taking care of them, you know, treating them like royalty. And, you know, they're going to walk away with these gifts, not little cheap gifts, but like some serious gifts, power tools, like crazy things. Like what here, I want to just, I just want to spoil you the way God spoils me. And I just remember the week before I was telling some people about it and my heart just started pounding. It started racing because I was so excited. And then it hit me. I thought, God, is this how you feel about me? Is this way you feel where you think, oh man, Francis has no clue. He has no idea what I have in store for him. He has no idea what this banquet's going to be like. He just thinks it's like everything else. But man, I have something prepared for him. And precious in my sight is the death of my saints. Because then I get to be with them. And they're going to be my inheritance. And it just hit me like, God, is that what you think about me? Like right now in heaven, is that God on his throne thinking, I can't wait till Francis gets up here. Man, he has no idea how good my banquet is. And man, I was just so pumped. Like, wow, God, this is what you do every day. You just show your grace, show your grace. And some of these people, they're going to spit on us, you know. And that happens to you. You pour your grace out. There were people that didn't show up for the banquet. So we got a crew and said, go out to the streets. Go find anyone. Get them cleaned up. I want this place to be full. And to be able to read that parable to these people. And to say, look, you thought this night was great? You have no idea what my God has in store for you. But it was all about just saying, here's the word of God. Let me just do it. You guys, do you take this literally? Do you take the word of God literally? Do you really believe that God commanded you to go and make disciples. Are you the type of people that go, man, it seemed like he rose from the dead and he says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him and he's telling these people, now go make disciples of all the nations. Do you read that and go, all right, I'm going to go start making some disciples. You guys, we've got to start doing this. Man, we talk about human trafficking the solution to making to human trafficking is making disciples. That's a solution. It's changing people's hearts because some of the people that you go to school with, some of them will be the victims of human trafficking and some of them will be the culprits of it. And yet if you go back to your campus, just the thought that you may be looking someone in the eyes, not ashamed of the gospel, and sharing the gospel with them so that they, they rise up and have a heart like ours where we go, man, we're on this fight, this war to stop the slavery, to set them free, to give them life. Rather than that person growing up and just doing what Ephesians 2 says, where you just... Start doing whatever your mind wants, whatever your body wants. Ooh, that seems like that would feel good. I'm just going to pursue that. The Bible says we were all there at one point. We all just did whatever felt good. That seems like that'd be fine. I'm going to do that. That seems like that would feel good. And your mind imagines things and then you carry them out. But then some point, God, being rich in mercy, 
because of that great love with which he loved us, he made you alive in Christ. And the thought that you can do that. I have time for like one last thought and I'm going nuts thinking, what do I say? What do I say? There's like two stories in my head. No, 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 no. I'm only doing one. Number two. Okay, number two. Thank you. Woo! Here it is. Number two was First Samuel chapter 13. First Samuel 13. I love this story because uh, in First Samuel 13, the Philistines are coming to fight with Israel. Verse five, and it says there's 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops like the sand on the seashore. And so it says that the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble and the people hid in caves and holes and rocks and tombs and cisterns. So, so you get this, the, 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 the Philistines are coming, they go, man, there's 30,000 chariots, there's 6,000 horsemen, there's troops as far as the eye can see. So they all start hiding. And Saul, you know, his number of the people with him, he had about 600. But then in chapter 14, verse 1, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, come on, let's go. Let's go to the Philistine garrison, the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Again, in verse 6 of chapter 14, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. So both of them, verse 11, it says, showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistine says, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes that they've hidden themselves in. And they go, come, come on. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbs up on his hands and feet, his armor bearer after them, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer. At that first strike, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed about 20 men. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, among all the people. The garrison, even the raiders trembled, the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. So these two guys... You know, Jonathan looks at this young armor bearer, he goes, you know, carrying his sword, carrying his shield, whatever. He goes, he goes, come on. I know there's, there's like a million guys up there, but does God really need all of Israel? I mean, God could do it without us. He goes, come on. And the armor bearer goes, all right, you just do what you want and I'm going to follow you. I'm with you, heart and soul. And these two guys climb up. They kill like 20 of them. And it says the earth started shaking. So the Philistines get scared. Next thing that happened, Saul looks on and goes, man, who's up there? What's going on up there? And someone says, the only two guys missing are Jonathan and his armor bearer. And so Saul takes his 600 men and it says, man, let's go. Look what's happening. God's stirring. Let's go. Let's let this let's go. God's doing something there. Come on. Let's get out of this cave. Let's go. And they start fighting. And then in verse 22, I love this. 
It says, went likewise when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. And I thought, that's so lame. Okay, so you got the other group. Okay, do you see the picture? There's two guys going, man, I don't care. It's just me and God. We can do this thing. And they, they just go. And they're, I'm going to take a chance. I know that if, if God's with us, we'll defeat them all. And then when something starts stirring, Saul's going, man, we can't leave Jonathan and his armor bearer up there. God's doing something. Let's go. And then it says when everything started happening and now the Philistines are running away, then there's another group that's peeking out of the well and going, they're running. Yeah, we got you. You know, and they're just running. Like, yeah, I knew we had. And I just thought, man, I don't want to be in that last group. But this is the way it happens so often in the church. There's a couple of people that take God at his word and go, you know what, I'm just going to go after it. I think I can actually make disciples. I'm going to actually look people in the eyes and I'm going to tell them about Jesus and be unashamed. And, I, and I, I really believe that I can lead them to the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit and that I can disciple them. I'm going to pursue that because that seems like what the Bible says. And then as you do something, others will look on and go, man, that, that's pretty cool. I'm not going to have you do that by yourself. I'm going to jump on board. And then there'll be another crew that waits till there's 42,000 people doing it and go, yeah, I knew that would work. And I'm just going, God, I, I don't want to be in that last group. I want to be maybe in group two, but I'd love to be one of those two guys. Whether it's with sex slavery, making disciples, standing for the word of God. I just be one of those guys that just studies this book and goes, man, I think all 400 of them are lying. Because, man, this is what I see in the Word of God. Look, I started this journey at Passion, I don't know, five or six years ago, where I looked at a group about half this size. And I said, hasn't it always bothered you when you went to church how you would read the Bible? And then you'd go to church, and you just felt like it didn't really match up? And I just saw everyone, all these college students going, yeah, I always thought that. Yeah, I was wondering if we missed it. I go, yeah, that's what I've always thought too. And it, it was kind of like what, what Christine was saying. Goes, it just doesn't make sense. How can we all be sitting around when such serious things are happening? And like Louis was saying after that, going, man, I expect a lot because you're college students. You're the ones that are actually going to do something. I believe there's Jonathans in this room that while other people are hiding you're going to go, you know what? I think God could do this through me. I'm reading in the Bible. He raised a guy from the dead. He stopped that woman in her flow of blood. And man, all these people saying God doesn't work like that anymore. And I'm going, man, I think they're all lying. All 400 of them. Because I'm, I'm reading this book and it seems like Christ has died and Christ has risen and he's coming again with all of his angels. And I want to be ready for that so that he'll say to me, well done, I was hungry. I was enslaved and you actually went after me. Well done. Come and inherit the riches of the kingdom. 